Blog Talk Radio. Pritchett, and this show is our first show, and because of that, I'd like to tell you a little about myself and what led me to coaching and why I chose career reinvention uh, specifically as my focus. So for 25 years, I had what I thought was the greatest bunch of jobs imaginable. I was an actor, a comic improviser, and a humor writer, but the bulk of my income came from my work as a voiceover artist. I was that guy at the end of a commercial who would say things like, batteries not included. I was the voice of Oldsmobile cars when there was such a thing as an Oldsmobile car. I was the voice of Dunkin' Donuts for many years, DirecTV, AT&T, excuse me. And one of my last big jobs was that of the voice of the History Channel, which I was for almost 10 years. Coming up next on Modern Marvels, that was me but not anymore. I loved it. I worked with wonderful, creative people. I had flexible hours. Uh, My income went up and down, good years, bad years, but over a 25-year period, I was very lucky to make a living. Like many industries, the business changed, and I was forced to change with it. And I came to the realization that I could no longer earn the living, the type of living I needed to. And I was faced with the question of... Now, what the hell am I going to do with myself? And I thought to myself, I have no skills, no experience other than being a performer. And I started entering the stages of grief, which are denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And the thing I realized about the stages of grief are they're not linear. They're not like passing signs on a highway. I had to turn around a few times and revisit. Well, mostly I revisited depression and anger. Um, But for a few months, along with the various stage of grief, I wandered around in kind of a haze, thinking to myself, is this business ever coming back for me? Why me? Poor me? What kind of job can I possibly get? And fortunately, I have a very strong network of friends, family, and colleagues. So I wasn't alone with all of these thoughts. And after a few months of twisting in the wind, one of my closest friends and colleagues came up to me and said, Harry, this is an opportunity. And I thought, well, easy for him to say, he's got a job and money in the bank. Then he asked me a question. He said, what do you want to do? Well, my initial reaction was, what do I want to do? I already did what I wanted to do. I have to figure that out again. So I took some time to ponder those two thoughts. This is an opportunity. And what do I want to do? And it was then, whether I knew it or not, that I embarked on my journey of career reinvention. And I soon realized I couldn't reinvent my career without reinventing myself. And what I meant by that, what I mean by that is it it wasn't just about tweaking my resume or updating my LinkedIn profile. I needed to go inward 
and explore my values, my passions, and quite honestly, dream a little bit, I had to open the lens of opportunity. You know, that lens that's wide open when we're children. The older we get, that lens can close up a bit. So I took the leap into the unknown, and I had no idea where I was headed. And in my case, that meant cutting way back on expenses, getting rid of my car, creating the space that I needed in order to explore. And over the course of the next year, year and a half, I took classes that interested me, odd jobs here and there, seminars, lectures, and talked with a lot of different people about a lot of different things. Until one day I was working with two other fellow voiceover guys who were also asking themselves, what the hell am I going to do now? And we were working together on some corporate presentation stuff when I stumbled on the coaching field, which quite honestly was a field I wasn't all that familiar with. And it really resonated with me. And the more I researched it, the more it resonated. And at some point I realized this is what I want to do. So I jumped into an eight-month training program where I became a certified coach. But that was really just the beginning. I continued my education to have a better understanding of change and transition in both the corporate world, but also how change and transition affects us personally. I became a huge fan of William Bridges, who wrote the book Transitions, How to Make Sense Out of Life's Changes. I think I've read that book three times so far. And his work has had a tremendous impact on the work that I do now. I also had to develop a platform for my new business and also figure out what my particular niche was. So I hired a coach, an extraordinary coach by the name of Lindsay Bacardo. Lindsay helped empower me, keep me focused, challenged me when I needed to be challenged, kept me accountable and dared me to think outside the box. Now, during that year of exploration, I had created a bulletin board of post-it notes on my wall. And one day I looked up and realized I had, without knowing it, created a pathway, pathway for myself for career reinvention which in turn became the seeds of a program I developed and work with today. And it was at that time I realized that that's the area I want to focus on career change, transition and reinvention. And remember earlier when I mentioned that close friend and colleague that told me this was an opportunity and asked me what to, what do you want to do? Well, it seemed only appropriate that he be the first guest on my show. So Rob Battles has 30 years experience leading creative teams focused on entertainment marketing. His resume includes senior management stints at AMC Networks, The Oprah Winfrey Show, and WABC-TV, as well as a decade as a founding partner at Crossroads Television, a creative services agency. He's co-authored best-selling humor books with R.D. Rosen and myself, including Bad Dog, Bad Cat, and Throw the Damn Ball, Classic Poetry by Dogs. He also publishes essays on Medium, as well as operating Rob Battles Consulting. And if I'm not mistaken, he is currently working on a book. Hello, Rob Battles. Is that, is that you, Harry? <laughs> it is me, Rob. How are you? Well, it's, a, it's funny. I was trying to reach someone else, but I guess we could chat. <laughs> 
Well, I appreciate um, you taking my call. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm very good. You know, it's interesting because as I was listening to your description, I have a vivid memory of that period of time when you were casting about for a path to reinvent yourself. And we didn't mm. at that time have any of the language of this. And, um, That's correct. and I, I really, I have a vivid memory because, you know, I said, why don't you try this? And you, you tried some stuff and then you told me you were trying some different kinds of work. And um, I was, I was intrigued by your process. And I remember when in one conversation you said, I really think coaching could be something that uh, I could sink my teeth into, and that would really be a rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. And um, it made perfect sense to me because, but the the thing that was, because of course I had my own idea of what you should do. I thought having worked with you as a comedy writer, I thought, well, you know, you're a very accomplished at that. So you should pursue that. And I worked with those kinds of people. Um, but it, it didn't, like it wasn't happening for you. So when you said, this is what I want to do, I thought, wow, this, I wouldn't, I didn't imagine it, but I knew it was true. And, and I have rarely heard anyone more excited about what they were embarking on than you were at that point. And you've remained increasingly uh, you know, you, your skills and experience have increased over time, but your enthusiasm for what the work provides to you, as well as the people with whom you work, has mm. always been really um, clear to me. It's, it's, and so. Thank you. I Thank you for that advertisement. Well, you know, it was, you know, because my story is, as you well know, I was, I had hired you to be, because I knew you were a trained coach. So I was finding myself in sort of confusion uh, at work. And I started sending you my own personal money so you could <laughs> listen to my trouble. The family and friends and, uh, uh, number, by the way. Oh, yes. No, it was a good rate, but still, it was actual money. So it was, Yeah, you know. in fact, I'd, I'd love to talk to back up just a little bit um, yeah. before we got to that point, because I'd like, to, I'd like to tell us a little about, you know, the experiences you've had um, over the years um, with changes and transitions um, with your career. Um, right. And most recently, the one you've experienced since you left your job at AMC. Well, and I, go. I would say I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> the, the last big transition was um, when my boss called me into his office and he said, we've eliminated your position. Mm. And I was really never better prepared for that to happen, but it was still a shock. Mm -hmm. But since then, I've thought about the fact that I've been experiencing career transition for my whole career, you know, from my first job out of college was as a teacher at a junior college, that job, that school 
went bankrupt. My second job out of college was as an audio producer for a film strip company. And I would imagine only the oldest people listening to this have any idea what a film strip is. What, what, that, what was your process at the time going from job to job? Because one of the things I've experienced um, working with people, because I, I work primarily with people that are approaching midlife or who are in midlife. And I've found that there's great truth to that, that idea that when you're younger, you know, in your 20s, that it's more about, you know, how, how am I going to get a job? How am I going to make money? How am I going to buy a car? And the, the older we get, it often becomes the why, why am I doing what I'm doing? So tell me a little about, you know, if you can remember the process in your, in your earlier years in relationship to the changes and transitions. I, I always had, at least for the first few years after I finished college, um, I always had at least three jobs. And um, I worked at a public radio station in Boston and uh, put in, um, you know, I'm not sure how many hours, but say 15 or 20 hours a week working there. I was always freelance writing for anybody who would publish whatever I would write for them. And I, and, and I would have a third, my official third job. And, and I just, because the, the other two jobs, um, especially the freelance writing, it was simply, I would, I would um, tool around, go to an editor and, and propose an article, they would invariably say, well, that sounds like an interesting article. We're not looking for anything like that right now. We're actually mm -hmm. looking for something on indoor plants. And I would say, <laughs> oh, I can write that. Mm -hmm. So that at the time, and this was back when there were such things as newspapers and magazines. Mm, um, long, long ago. On, long ago. They'd give me the, the assignment. I'd go research it and write it. I'd turn it in. They'd give me um, a check and then they'd, they'd say, here's your next assignment. And whatever it was, I would go write it. But so that was, I just sort of, I didn't, I didn't know enough to know there was a process to it. That was sort of how I'd get those assignments. Mm -hmm. When, to find a job when I was done with school, I, I looked in the paper and anything that I thought I could do, I would apply for. And as they were shot out from under me, Mm -hmm. um, I would just have a momentary panic and then I'd go back to the newspaper and I'd look for anything that looked like it was a job I could do. And it, I never thought about the arc of my career. I was just trying to figure out how I could do what I knew how to do and mm -hmm. get paid for it. So, and you're right, it was, it was essentially, I need to make enough money to pay my bills and I was lucky because I was what I, I was getting a lot of um, a lot of satisfaction out of my freelance writing and my radio production. So it was only after I moved to New York, and I moved to New York to be a freelance writer, because it, it sort of amazes me because um, the idea of being freelance. In fact, it's only just as I'm saying it does it occur to me. The idea of being freelance fills me with terror. The idea <laughs> that I would that I would be 
waiting to see if there was, you know, a project that I could get hired onto. And in this case, it would be an article that I could write. But I guess I'd had enough consistent after these, after my first few jobs were ignominiously eliminated. I, um, I said, well, I'm just going to concentrate on, on the writing. And, and I got enough work in Boston to pay my bills. So I figured, well, if I can do this in Boston, I could probably do it in New York where there are more magazines based and more stuff going on. And I mm -hmm. always wanted to live in New York. So I just figured I'd move to New York. I had a friend who invited me to, you know, to uh, be his roommate when he found a two bedroom apartment he wanted to move into. Do you remember and what you paid for that? I'm sure if I could remember it, I'd just be weeping. But um, <laughs> because I'm sure it was it was like an insanely small figure. Um, but at the time, it was, you know, it was 30 percent of whatever I was making. So, right. so it's probably about a hundred dollars a month. Right. Um, that's a joke. Um, so but I I got to New York and my roommate had had a girlfriend who had a cousin who worked at ABC TV and they were looking for anybody. Apparently if you had enough TV experience to have turned a television on, then you had all the qualifications to work in the affiliate relations department. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I sort of went for the job because in fact, I moved a couple of weeks earlier than I expected to because I had an interview on the books and I, I wound up with a job that I must admit not only did I have no idea what I was doing until years after I'd left the job, but I really didn't like the job. I liked the people, mm. and it, but, but it was, you know, I, as I recall, I was on the phone to, to uh, TV stations asking them why they were preempting the Love, Love Boat two-hour special for the Jerry Falwell uh, marathon. So. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't care. I mean, I had been, I was entirely out of the habit of watching TV by this time. So I would go home and try to watch ABC TV. So I would have some idea what I was talking about on the phone with these stations around the country. And um, it was torturous. Mm. But can you, but the, can you remember back at, at that time, what was it about that work that you found fulfilling? Uh, what was fulfilling about that work was probably what, what has always been fulfilling, which was there were some people I really enjoyed working with. I enjoyed being part of a team. And the, the reason I can answer this is because I went through your process. And the, what, what I've always enjoyed about my job has, has been the same thing. The, that job involved, you know, at one point I had a, I was managing a couple of guys and we were calling stations for some crazy reason, to getting them to use unsold network sales inventory. Mm -hmm. And what was fun about it was we sort of had our goals. We listened to each other on the phone. We gave each other feedback about what we were doing and we actually got better we got more effective by helping each other. And 
that job, you know, uh, then I wound up working at, at a, an ABC-owned radio station, um, which was much more to my taste. Um, and and what was interesting about that job was I was watching a, a lot of experienced radio professionals who were very good at their jobs. I, I didn't really appreciate it until years later, but I, I was working at the top-rated commercial rock and roll radio station. Hmm. And so I, I was watching the, the programming director do his job. I was watching the sales manager do his job. I was reporting to the, the director of advertising and promotion, so I was assisting that person. And, and because it was a successful operation, I was part of a successful operation, and it, it, I didn't really know it. I was just there. So I was learning from people who were very good at what they did, um, and it was, all, it was all sort of a surprise to me. I'd worked in public radio, but commercial radio you know, had very different rules, and it was only in retrospect as, you know, my, as my career for what, you know, what I, I never really thought I was in pursuit of a career, but looking back on it, it made perfect sense. Yeah, so you know, I'm, the, the, um, I just want to, jump, I want to jump in and ask you, so up until, up until this point, um, what were the things that were, you were kind of compiling as, oh, I like that, I don't like that, which was kind of what I'm hearing is guiding your direction in, in, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, in terms of like the next step. So based on the things that you did up until that point, um, what were the things that you were trying to carry with you forward? Well, I knew I liked writing. And so I was, and I was given the opportunity to write on air copy and, and I knew I liked creating sort of, I like solving marketing problems and I liked the radio. I mean, I liked the radio as a product. I liked, I mean, I was in show business. I mean, it was, when I think back on it, it was showbiz baby. Um, yeah. Show, it, it's, you know, people think, Oh, show business. It's so much fun. And it's both, that's quite accurate. Mm-hmm. Like the fact is if you work at a rock and roll radio station, it's definitely more fun than if you work at an insurance company. Um, well, not everyone might but, agree. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, <laughs> I, I don't think I would have agreed because working at the radio station, the things that were tedious about it were mm-hmm. probably just as tedious. As, you know, I, I think at some point I thought, I wish I had gone to... It was only when I realized that if you understand business, you can make good business decisions that I wish I'd paid more attention or even taken some classes in business. Mm. But the, so the, the things that I was enjoying doing, I kept doing and the stuff I didn't like doing that was part of the job. I, you know, I would just do it and I would inadvertently be learning stuff that would come in handy later. You know, I, I never really thought about what direction I was going to follow. Um, but everything I did, or virtually everything I, I, all the experience that I had, including affiliate relations, eventually came in incredibly handy. And it, it, all of my experience served me at some point down the road. So 
basically I was trying to have a, you know, a, a job where I could be creative because I like doing that. And I was learning mm-hmm. how, I was learning how the business of broadcasting and the business of entertainment worked. And that was interesting and fun, you know, so I was doing that, that's doing all that kind of work. And, and by the, and, and I moved from one job to another, you know, the first time I got laid off, I remember it very well because it, it threw me into a panic. Um, it, but what, it wasn't can you tell me uh, what, what led to the, the laying off? Can you remember? Right. I was, I had moved from affiliate relations at ABC to the owned radio station to the radio networks because I wanted, you know, my, my boss at the time had been approached about a job at the radio networks and he didn't want it, but he knew I wanted, you know, a better job or a, more of a paycheck. So he said, why don't you go for it? So I did and I got the job and it was terribly boring. Um, <laughs> what was, what was, was boring just, about it? It was, it was, I mean, the, the great thing about, about working at a radio station was you got feedback almost instantly on what you were doing. Like you would put a promotion on the air and it would either work or it wouldn't. You would right. have copy on the air and you would hear it and people would respond to it or they wouldn't. At the radio networks, it was, it was like I had no idea if anything that I was doing was making a difference you know, the, the people I worked for said I was doing a great job, but I, but it was, I felt completely cut off from any kind of feedback about whether it was really working. And mm-hmm. then, thank God, the head of the networks, the only time I ever talked to the president of the networks, I, I had come back from some long lunch because I didn't have to work very hard. And I, you know, and I was always upset with, if anybody asked me to do something at like five o'clock, because it's like, well, I'm leaving. It's five o'clock. And I was complaining to my friends about how bored I was at work. So this guy called me in after lunch and he said, I'm sure he said, your name is Rob, right? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, uh, well, there's no easy way to say this to you, but um, we're, we're laying you off. And we're actually laying off the entire marketing department, except for Sam Tatterson. And, um, so I stood up and I shook his hand. I said, well, thanks a lot. And I walked back to my office. It's like, oh, my God, I, I just lost my job, which I didn't <laughs> like. But mm-hmm. it's like now i got to find a job. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just, you know, you know I'm, I'm going to just let me jump. Let me jump in here because it seems like a good opportunity to because you and I, because of the work we've done together, we speak a, a common language. And, um, you know, for those of the people that aren't familiar with William Bridges work and his book transitions, he defines the difference between change and transition. And and I think this is good. This might be a good thing for people to know. Um, You know, change is something that happens to us like getting laid off from a job, whether we like it or not. And transition is the internal process in relationship to the change. So that, you know, that's what I'm hearing now. I mean, we heard the change. See you later. Thanks a lot. We don't need you here anymore. And then the transition is, you know, begins with that, that ending basically. Yes. And, and, but I, but because I was fundamentally um, 
in a panic because it because I didn't know then what I I knew probably 15 years later or 10 years later, which is if you know how to do something and someone needs it done, you'll find a job. Uh-huh. And um and paying attention to what you want to do is more important than finding a job. At this point it was my fun, my own my only interest was finding my next job. And it happened very quickly and it was is incredibly fortuitous. And I suppose I might have been thinking where because the radio network seems so um, it just seemed so out of out of touch with any kind of feedback loop, which is what I really enjoyed for, for you know the creative work, which is you make something and then you see if it works and then you could you know learn to make it better. So I wound up applying for a job I saw at one of the cable networks, and because um, I thought, well, that's that seems to be an industry that's going somewhere, hmm. and. So you were one I, of the people that predicted that. No, I, I didn't. I, I just, I knew it was, you know, MTV was established and people mm-hmm. were talking about MTV and, and I went to work for a channel that's still around and that's still largely unknown. Mm. Um, it's called the movie channel, which was a second sure. brand from Showtime and mm-hmm. the worst, brand name in the history of brand names um, and <laughs> just awful and um, so but I was working at Showtime on this fairly innocuous brand but but I knew but but I I sort of and I was the promotion manager for this channel and the channel had a budget of a buck 380 and and so I, suddenly I was in cable TV and I was, and I had new bosses, and one of them, you know, came back into the picture many years later. Which, again, one of those things that everyone should remember that when they're working for someone and they're enjoying it, they'll very likely be working with that person again. You know, odds are. The, the people that you really enjoy working with who enjoy working with you are the people who will seek you out or that you'll seek out in the future. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, you, you, you have certainly been a huge influence on me um, regarding uh, a network and networking. And that's certainly something uh, we may be able to get to tonight. I need to take a quick break to talk about uh, an upcoming show. So hold on, I'm putting you on mute. Hold on to your, put on your seatbelt. Yes, sir. So we are about halfway through the show, and I want to tell you a little about another upcoming show on January 16th at 7 p.m., Undivided with Frank Maduri. This episode will feature an in-depth discussion on military veterans and the barriers they face to entry back into the workforce or entering the workforce for the first time. Frank's guest will be Art Maloney, a combat veteran in the Vietnam War, who also had a long executive career and now gives his time to help military service veterans with job placement. That's January 16th, 7 p.m. on the Life Coach Radio Network. And now back to Free the Hamster, currently in progress with my guest, Rob Battles. Where were we? 
Well, actually, I think the right thing to do at this point is to talk about the last two big changes that I experienced, or the last okay. three. I'll try to I'll try not to drone on so much, but at, at please, one point, please drone you know, on, drone on as much as you want. <laughs> I was I was uh, I went from a cable job back to uh, broadcast TV, and that was more fun because it was again more immediate feedback, and. Um, and I went to work for a previous boss, and I wound up with a great boss who, uh, like the head of the station, was a guy who had had my job, and he was very good at it, and he mm-hmm. taught me everything he knew. And as a result of that lucky break, because I didn't intend to find a mentor, but I, I wound up working for a guy who taught me basically re, retrained me to do my job. And, mm-hmm. and I discovered another thing at that job, which was because suddenly I was now a manager of people rather than a manager of projects. Mm-hmm. And what I, just, what I discovered, and it, it came as a shock to me, was I, I liked it more than anything I'd ever done before. And what, what, was it? Time, what was it about that? that you liked so much? I, I was able to create, like to put together teams of people and direct them and guide them into collectively making good work, work that was effective, that we all liked, that we thought was good and that accomplished its aim. And, you know, the aims were somewhat pedestrian. It was like, we want people to watch the local news or we want people to watch the syndicated programming um, or we want people to take away an idea about this television station. So we were making campaign spots and tune-in spots. And we had to make a lot of them. We had to make them every day. And I had a team of people. And what I discovered was I really, in, I was happy to have people who were better writers, better editors, better designers than I was, um, because I was I was good enough to provide them with a focus, and I was and I enjoyed creating a space to do good work. Mm-hmm. So, so it was in, it was a shock to me because I sort of. I thought, well, the the dream job for me would be to be sort of the most successful copywriter or the most successful mm-hmm. producer. But here I was being really just being a manager of of process with a certain amount of creative oversight, and I was good enough at it to keep my job and I and it was really fun. I I'm pretty sure you and I worked on a project back when I was at that station because I didn't know you that well, but, uh, but I know I hired you as a voiceover for projects unless it was uh, back when I had the agency. But at any rate, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I discovered to my surprise that leading a creative team and being responsible for creative product and frankly, working for a boss who was who expected us to do good work, but who left us alone. I just sort of learned this is really fun, really satisfying, and pretty challenging. So at that point, 
it, it had moved from what am I going to do to get paid to I know what I enjoy doing and mm-hmm. I want to, I want to do more of this. And well, so one the of the things I've of- I've observed over the years, you know, uh, as a manager, is that you have quite an exceptional talent in the way that you kind of uh, conduct people that are working for you. You know, you you've always told me you hire the best people um, and let them do their work. Um, and I've always noticed the way you acknowledge them. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember one thing, you know, we did something together where I did a presentation for a group and there was some time to kill and you were just naturally including everyone in the conversation. And it was with such ease that, um, you know, that's quite a skill. Well, if you, if you pay attention to your own experience, you know how you want to be treated at work. Mm. And what I loved was when people treated me with respect and, and patience and forgiveness because, because um, it's obvious. Um, if you're trying to do creative work, sometimes you're going to succeed and sometimes you're going to fail. And if it's okay to fail, then you're going to keep trying to do your best creative work. You're not going to be afraid of failing. You don't want to, but it's not going to be a disaster if you do. And I had enough bosses who weren't, they, you know, they, they were, they were confident enough to let me make mistakes and so I knew if I had good people working for me and I, you know, I had figured out by doing it badly how to do it well, mm-hmm. if you encourage good people to do good work, they'll do the best work they can because, and, and I just went into my own experience with it. Mm-hmm. And, good, and, and the other thing I, I discovered was you can usually talk someone who's good at something, at taking on more responsibility, um, because that's the only because somebody who's very a very good producer may be a very good executive producer, but they're probably not going to want the job, except if it pays more, because it's 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 more responsibility and it's more pressure. Um, but if they know they're going to have a good time and they know that they're, they're going to be, they're going to be safe making mistakes. Then mm-hmm. you can usually convince them to step up and do what is a, a, a more challenging job. And the reason I would do that was because I knew from my own experience when directing a, cre- a creative group of people is actually as much fun as directing a creative process for some for the people who are going to who actually like do, working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I knew it was time for me to leave the the television station job when I stopped paying attention to the work, mm. and I didn't I didn't even notice I'd stopped paying attention until my assistant came in and she said you probably saw that spot for such and such on the air. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Mm. And I, and I thought, Oh my God, I, I'm, I'm losing interest 
in what I'm doing, I, I probably need to find something new to do. I want to, Rob, because, I want to fast yeah. forward to uh, your departure uh, from AMC because we are, believe it or not, we are, we have some time left, but I want to sink our teeth into that if that's okay with you. Sure. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that, Harry, was that um, I was, I was at what I thought was likely the end of my career. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I loved, I loved my job. I was leading um, a pretty big creative team. We had a lot of responsibilities. We were working on a bunch of hit shows and we had, we had some sort of groovy brands that were fun to work on IFC and um, Sundance TV. And, um, and I had figured out how to do the job pretty well, and I had surrounded myself with really strong creative managers, and I, and I was doing my best to teach them how to do it my way, which was mm-hmm. hire really good people and let them do their jobs. Mm-hmm. So when my boss called me up and he said, we're eliminating your job, I was mostly shocked because I sort of thought I was going to work for at least a few more years. Mm-hmm. But I was slightly relieved because I thought, well, now I don't have to decide when to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I then went into a tailspin because I, had, because I really didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and I have to say... I probably would have gotten to the place I got to eventually on my own. But frankly, because I did not know how to navigate this and because I knew I was in a, uh, I knew there was an opportunity, the same one that I identified when you were casting about for what to do next. Mm-hmm. I knew I, I knew I was in that same place and I knew that, it was a rare opportunity that I was going to miss if I didn't pay attention to what was important in that moment. Right. And, and I, so I, if I, if I may make an observation at that time, if I remember correctly, uh, when you and I actually started working together professionally, um, you know, one of the great um, transitions that you were dealing with now, you know, for how many years were you used to, getting up at a certain time, going to the office, you had your office, you had your, you know, all of this. And that all of a sudden came to a screeching halt. So yeah, it it's, was, it, you it know, it's shocking. like, yeah, what do I, what, what do I do with this space? Now, you know, you've always been a, a person I've witnessed that, that knows how to fill their, their, their time with things that interest them. But it's a big, it's a big difference because one thing is our culture, especially is very, very in our, our identities are very hung up on, um, the work that we do. You know, I mean, you go to a gathering here in the United States, what's the first question people ask, what do you do? And so I remember you actually mentioning that the idea of what, what do I tell people I do? What do I p- tell people I do? But I, I guess I'm jumping around a little bit because prior to that, um, I know that the network offered you some coaching transition 
which ultimately led to you and I working together. Um, talk, can you talk a little about that? Yes. Well, the, the network transition coaching was essentially this firm will help you get your resume together and help you find your next job. But that was not what I was interested in. I actually wanted to, I wanted to think, reflect, and be directed in so doing about what I was going to do that would be sort of meaningful and bring me satisfaction. And, and let me, I'm going to stop only because, um, you know, one of the things that I do with people is to get some clarification. So, because, you know, if I were to ask everyone what was meaningful, it would probably, would probably have a hundred different answers. So when you say you wanted to do something meaningful, what, what does that mean for you? Or what did it I mean knew, for you? I should say. Yeah. I think I, I knew that, um, I knew that I was, it was highly unlikely that at my age in the industry I was in, that a, a, a job similar to the one I had was going to be available to me. So, and I also knew that there were skills and experience that I had that I enjoyed using, but I, I didn't know, I just didn't know what I could do that I would want to do that would bring me as much pleasure as the best parts of the work I've done in my career. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was actually when going through the process of identifying my values and noticing what I had done, what had brought me pleasure throughout my working life, which I had never thought about, you know, no one sits you down and says, let's, let's look for the patterns here, the, the patterns of satisfaction in, in your experience. Right. Uh, but, but your process asked me to do that. And so asked me to identify what are the values that, that are important to me. Yeah. Well, and, because and the, one of the reasons, the, one of the reasons is, you know, during the program that I developed um, the second stage stage of which is self-assessment includes a values assessment because, you know, our values change over time. And as you pointed out, you know, when we, get older and you're right. People don't often stop and write down, Hmm, what's, you know, what's important to me right now in my life? What are the top five most important things in my life right now? And how are they influencing the decisions I make? Right. You know, cause and you know, where am yeah. I going to find an opportunity to make them a, an important component of what I'm doing in the future? Right. So the, the process helped me understand what I cared about. And it also gave me permission to imagine doing whatever I wanted to do because I was in the rare, in the rare position of, of not being overly concerned about about getting another job. I was never going to duplicate my salary. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'm not going to, what, what can I do with my time? I knew I didn't want to just, I mean, I never played golf. I wasn't going to start. Mm -hmm. And 
I live in New York, so there's a million things you can do, but what was I going to do with my time that was going to be rewarding and that was going to provide sort of meaning and satisfaction in a way that, because I was in a position to, to really do whatever that was, but I had never spent much time thinking about what it would be. Right. I remember and, at one point uh, you, we actually worked together on a daily calendar because, you know, like I said earlier, you were so kind of conditioned to have this internal calendar that there was this kind of, you know, flailing, so to speak, in, in the wind of, what do I do now? What do I do now? So right. Right. we actually started scheduling, you know, your, your daily appointments, the things that interested you. And I remember and further, that giving you, it, gr- giving you great relief. And also it was like, this is, you were instrumental in helping me understand that if I was going to do something, that had to be what I did and not be interrupted um, and not be distracted from doing it. And so I, mm-hmm. I, because the importance, I realized, the, you know, it's yes. it, that that's interesting point because the importance we often give certain things allow us to be distracted by other things. Well, you know, Oh, I'm just, I'm just working on this so I can take a phone call. I can, um, you know, but if you were at your job and in a meeting with somebody, you know, because I know that, you know, I mentioned it earlier that you're working on a book and uh, you're in the editing process of that. And I remember when you began, you first began that and it was like, oh, this is my work. It and was, I need to put the time aside to, to, to find what it was that I wanted to do. And it shouldn't have been surprising, but it was. And. You know, there, there was another thing that, and again, it was it was very helpful to me because there was that the the transition period when I I didn't know what it was I was going to be doing, but I I needed to be thinking about it and I needed to be to some degree in an organized fashion pursuing ideas. So it, it was open ended, but it wasn't just daydreaming. It was think about something, go investigate it. And the process was easy to confuse with getting nothing done. Mm. But so whenever I would talk to you about this, I would say, I feel like I'm not doing anything. And you would remind me that I was doing exactly what was called for and that it would, it might feel like I'm not doing anything, but in fact, I was thinking and exploring and investigating areas and having some conversations and doing some research and seeing what led to what. And right. it, was, it was just, it was uh, critically important to me that, because, you know, I'd, been, I'd worked my whole life and wasting time was anathema. And so you kept reminding me that this, this exploration is necessary. It takes much more time than we wish. And mm. it's, it's critical. And you have to do it and you have to allow as much time to do it as it takes. 
So well, you know that makes me, you know, reminds me again about William Bridges' transition model and his, you know, the ending has to come first, and the second phase, which you're describing, is he calls the neutral zone, and then the third phase, of course, is the new beginning, and the neutral zone is that area of kind of awkward, uncomfortable exploration. Um, but that's rich with opportunity if you allow the time for it to reveal itself, as you just pointed out. I think it's very hard uh, because whenever I would talk to people who were in a situation like this, you know, friends or people with whom I worked, I would encourage them not to waste a lot of energy fretting and worrying about what was going to happen because I knew from observation that, you know, people who are good at what they do, who are looking for the next opportunity will invariably find it. But that the period of time when you're not sure what's coming is such a, such a rare opportunity to play, to explore areas that are interesting to you that you don't know a lot about. And if you can relax and enjoy it, and I'd only done this once before. It was when I left the agency that I'd started and I didn't have a job. And um, I remember there was a, and I thought, okay, if I'm going to believe what I tell other people, they're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I need to do everything I can, but I remember having a very vivid thought, which was if I knew what I was supposed to be doing now, I'd be doing it. Mm-hmm. But I, but I don't know what it is, and so I have. That's to a keep... that's a real struggle for a lot of people allowing themselves, um, you know, that time because it's it can be really uncomfortable. I know for myself because I've I've experienced it. I mean, I became kind of a, a pro at it after being an actor for so many years. Um, um, but it's, you know, you're right. It's, it's really trusting that and, you know, making, um, like I said earlier, sometimes you have to find ways to create that space. And, you know, sometimes that means cutting back on certain things or, um, you, you know, in my case, cutting back on expenses, getting rid of a car so that, you know, financially I, I could afford not to have to uh, require, you know, the income that I was used to. Um, And, and that becomes, you know, and it's a, it's a, can be a difficult um, task for some people, especially people that have, you know, just bought a home and they've got kids. Um, So uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge for sure. The, the other thing that I had to, that I had to make peace with, the last couple of times I found myself between assignments was the sense, like the sense of failure and shame that I had. Mm. It's like, Oh, I'm, Oh, I'm a loser. I don't have a job. And so I remember that I, I actually didn't know anybody who hadn't been in that position and I didn't think they were losers. They were just between, they were just between jobs. And I had to remember that whenever I, heard from someone who was looking for information or wondering about whether there were any opportunities, I was always happy to help them. And I, I thought, 
you know, they're, there's nothing wrong with being in this position. And if I'm lucky and they're good, I'll find, I'll find an opportunity, you know, to help myself by putting them in a place where they can help me. Right. Um, so the, the thing I, I would always forget is that um, I, know how to, I know how to do something and I want to do it and I want to do it well. And there's a pretty good chance that there's somebody who needs me to do it. And my job is to get out and get out in the open where someone can find me because it's much easier for if it's easy to find the people who are out in, out in plain sight who are looking to do something I need done. Now I mm-hmm. would often tell people having conversations with the people who are doing the work you want to do is the best thing you can do because then they know you and you know them. And it's, it's the best time to do it is when you're, when you're working. Now I right. hated the idea of networking, but whenever I would meet somebody I liked in the industry, we'd become friends and would stay in touch. You know, the last job I got offered, I got offered from a guy I was working with at Showtime. I worked for him for 10 months. We liked each other. I stayed in touch with him. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it was one of those things where, oh, this is a guy I like working with. I'm going to get back in touch with him to let him know. You know, I'm back, out, I'm back out here looking for an opportunity, and it so happened he was looking for somebody to do something for him. And so it was, it was, it was, it was great good luck, but it wasn't accidental. And right. It, it, was, it was I stayed in touch with somebody who wanted to stay in touch with me. Hey, I need to cut and, us off. Well, Harry, I, I wish you, you'd really scheduled more time because I, I never got to tell you about my scan collection. <laughs> You'll just have to come, come, on, uh, come on again. Any, any last thoughts before I uh, mute you again? Uh, well, I would say the Bridges book is fantastic. I think um, if you're ever in a position to work with a trained coach, I was very skeptical about them until I had the experience of working with one. And then I realized, oh, yeah, you don't get this unless you're getting it from somebody who's, who knows how to help you move through the transition. So thanks for being a good coach. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for being a good guest and a good friend. <laughs> My pleasure. All right, man. Have a great night. Thank you. You've been listening to Free the Hamster. I'm your host, Harry Pritchett. And if you've enjoyed tonight's show, there will be more. My next show will be on Thursday, January 17th at 7 p.m., And I'll leave you with these words from William Bridges, who asks, what is standing backstage in the wings of your life, waiting to make its entrance? Good night, everyone.